This is Brock and Salk. Brock Eward is my hero. Jim Huner just punched me in the kidney. <laughs> on Seattle Sports. We're going to do you on the internet. Doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter's Subaru, Volkswagen, and Acura. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Salk. Hello! Brock and Salt, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports application, and on podcast platforms, wherever they may be. It's a formal Friday. That's right. Very formal today with Shannon Dreyer coming in for three hours. We'll be on our best behavior for Shannon, I'm sure. All of you will be because she's going to be here for open phone lines, so I would expect that all of you will be on your best behavior for Shannon. Don't embarrass me in front of Shannon. Spring training. Yeah, what about it? I think she's going to make her... Her, her blondies. Uh, blondies. Yeah. She, they went head-to-head with my mom's brownies Ooh. last year, if yeah, you remember. It, it was a dramatic it. battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, each of them was putting a container in front of Cal, and he didn't yeah. know what to do. Uh, I'll just, <laughs> right, I'll just take them both. Well, then Scott You're came over and seemed Cal. a little upset that we were, like, feeding his players brownies and was like, yeah, maybe don't do that. They're in training. It's literally called spring training. Maybe the brownies aren't the best bet. So, uh, I wanted to start this morning with something very important and not something that we don't talk about enough, but it is out of control. I don't know. Maybe this is maybe maybe I am becoming an old man, but this has gone too far. You know how sometimes you have a good idea and it starts off great, but then over time it becomes too much. And eventually something good becomes kind of rotten. We're all standing on the shoulders of giant salt. Yes, those are pretty much every good idea. It happens with everything, right? But you see it a ton in like TV shows and stuff where you've got like a character who is a lot of something. But then over time they become that's all they are. Right. Like if you watched Friends at the beginning, Joey's kind of dumb. By the end, Joey can like barely put three sentences together. Right. You're like, (laughs) okay, this is too much. Ross is kind of annoying. No, Ross, you can't even like be around. Right. So I found myself thinking about that last night. But with MFA, you know what MFA is? Not the Museum of Fine Arts. Multi-factor authentication. Ah, uh, yes. We've gone too far. Justin, since you're the one going Sorry, out there. I'm the tech guy, yeah. I know. Since you're the tech guy going out and helping people with their podcasts and stuff and getting it all downloaded to their phones, which, by the way, you should be doing. What's the matter with you if you don't have a, our, our show automatically sent straight to your phone? But um, I, I, I last night, my wife's birthday's coming up, okay, next week. And I wanted to make a reservation for the four of us to go have dinner. Me, her, and the kids, not the three of us and Heather. Well, that'd but, be nice of you. I mean, yeah, maybe another time. Maybe that's something we'll be able to do at some point. So I, I, I go to make a reservation, and for whatever reason, I was using my laptop instead of my phone. So I go to make the reservation on Open Table, right? Okay, shouldn't be that big a deal. Just click on it, go through, and it's, uh, you've got to authenticate, put in your phone number. Okay, I'll put in my phone number because then we're going to send you a code. All right. Like, I can handle that that's going to happen to me sometimes, even though it seems like a bit of overkill for open table. Like, well, somebody's going to break in and steal my 300 points. Stealing people's reservations. What what are we talking about? So, all right, fine, whatever. I'll give you my, my phone number. You send me the code, and then I'll type in the code. Fine. Okay, click on the reservation. I want a 7 o'clock on Saturday. I'm going to do this and that. Yes, we just need to authenticate your email. Then they have to send a freaking code to my email. So to sign up for a reservation for four people at 7 p.m. on Saturday, I literally had to do it with my email and my phone. I agree. It's, Life's it's hard. It's way too much. Can we tone it the you-know-what down? It's important. Especially for something like that. I get it. Like when I need to go to my bank, 
I get, I get it, it when I need to deal with my credit card okay. as the or tech my guy, mortgage. As the tech guy, how many people use the same passwords with like the teeny tiny little change? So it's important. Your Is open it? table could be the portal to your bank account. In a lot I of guess, but like, I guess, I guess you're right. Maybe that's true. It still feels like a lot to have to lot. go through both <laughs> things just to make a reservation you know what I heard for recently? dinner. This last weekend, as a Friday, I was at this fancy cocktail bar, and they, and I was there earlier, and they opened. And they're like, do you have a reservation? And I looked around. I'm like, there's not a single person in here. I'm the first one here. And I was like, I don't think so. But if I did, it would be under this name, whatever. They're like, yep, we got you. They put me in the seats. And within 20 minutes, the whole place was full. Whoa. And I was like, wait a minute. You guys do reservations for happy hour? And they're like, yeah. And there's a deposit. And if you don't come... We charge you. Jeez. It's like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, it stopped a lot of people from leaving the reservations and having this a half-empty restaurant. It's like, ah, makes sense. Yeah, but man. that you didn't have to do that for this, right? You didn't put a deposit down either. I don't think I had so to put down I figured that would make you lose your mind if you had to put a deposit down. No, I've put a deposit down on reservations before. Okay, okay, I mean, good. I would say this place was not quite fancy enough to warrant that. Usually that's at, like, an exceptionally fancy spot where they're like, hey, you know, like if you go to Altura or something, right, in yeah. Capitol Hill, like, I get it. I've only been there once. It was pretty spectacular. But, you know, thankfully somebody had, like, given us some money for dinner because there's no way. Like, no normal human can afford to eat at that place. Like, it's really good. Yeah, yep. But you go there and it's like, okay, well, do you, are you interested in dropping $450 a person on dinner? Like, no, not really. So I get a place like that, like they want to put down a deposit because they don't want people maybe even to run out of this, their bill. This was a cocktail bar. Uh, Maura, My I, parents did that once. Have I ever told you this story? Years they ago. They ran out on a bill? Yeah. So no. They did. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it's safe to say tell the story now. But so um, this is like in the 70s, right? So no credit cards, right? Nobody, like that's not really a part of day-to-day life. No um, ATMs. So if you want to get money, you've got to get it at the bank during the week between 9 and 5. No Saturday, no Sunday, no nothing. And so my parents go down to New York from Boston for their anniversary or something like that. And they you know spend the day, do whatever. And then Saturday night, they go out to a nice dinner. Well, a nice dinner in New York turns out to cost a whole lot more than a nice dinner does in Boston. And my parents were completely unprepared for the bill when it came at the end oh of the night. God. And unfortunately, there's nothing you can do. Like, there's no Write a check. They don't have a checkbook on them. I guess there's no there's no way to oh. get money. No nothing. Mortify. And so, oh, absolutely. And so they look at each other. Well, what are we gonna do? Like, they're at some nice restaurant in New York. I guess they just you know threw down whatever they had and took off running. Oh like, Criminals. what are we gonna do? Criminals. Yes. They weren't expecting the the bill to Wasn't be what a, it was. Was it a price prices weren't on the menu? menu I don't know. You know what? That that's a good question. That's <laughs> like, always I've never thought to ask because I've never really wanted to delve too deeply into my parents' uh, criminal masterminded past. But uh, told you the story. That's important. Yeah, these things happen. Homer in Alaska says, "Hey, life hack. You could just call the reservation into the restaurant." That's what I was going to say the same thing. I was like, you know what? Screw you, Homer. Like, get out of here. Get out of here, my man. Like, yes, of course I could. But I'm doing it this other way. This point was not that reservations have become too complicated. The point was that there's too much multi-factor authentication. That's oh, all. okay. All right. I, I I think it's an okay hoop to jump through, and considering the alternative, a lot of these. Sulk, options. you only have to do it once. Quit whining. No, I had to do it twice. I literally had to do it twice last night on the same thing. All right. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> That's all I got. Better now. I guess. Well, more of that just means we have a fancy dinner in our future. I guess because you did say it was gonna. 
Yeah, what do you think? You, you guys want to go out for Heather's you know, birthday? I've never, yeah, I've never been to Ascend. Let's go to Ascend. You want to go to Ascend? The three of us and Heather for uh, nice. for her birthday? Just saying, we spent a lot of time with you. <laughs> That's true. The kids spent a lot of time with you. Right. Maybe did the we, six of us go. Wait, when we went to the casino and had dinner, where did we go? We went to uh, Vista Prime Steaks oh. and Seafood. Oh, that was very good. That was really good. That was very good. We should go back there, good. too. That place is great. It's yeah. Snoqualmie. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You know what? Let's take a little break. I I <laughs> This segment's just not gotten the way it was really supposed to. Plus, I spent most of the day yesterday, like, really thinking about the whole uh, nose sneeze smell thing. And yeah. Uh, Betsy had a lot of questions about that, too. So I spent, I spent more of my day talking about it than I wanted to. What was to. her question? Just how how and why, uh, basically. It was like, what did, did we get to the bottom of this? And does well, more, I think, did. You didn't believe yeah. me, but the fir- I looked up an article, and, yeah. the, and it had it said, what do your sneeze smells mean? And the very first one was, if it smells sweet like honey, it's ketones from like a ketosis diet. Oh, so that's good. That means I'm losing weight. <laughs> so I should be psyched about Hashtag my health. terrible smelling sneeze that your stank that. up my car the <laughs> other day. All right. Uh, we have some actual sports to talk today. We're going to do a ton of baseball as Shannon Dreyer will be in starting at 7 o'clock. Before we get there, though, we've got uh, another hire yesterday, two more hires yesterday in the NFL, and then Matt Miller, NFL draft scout, who is just phenomenal with a, some in-depth, in-detail thoughts on what the Seahawks could do and what this draft looks like. So stick around. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, there are now only two openings left and a whole bunch of big or at least familiar names left to fill them. This after two teams hired head coaches yesterday. Panthers choosing former Seahawks assistant Dave Canales and then the Falcons turn to Raheem Morris, who's been in that organization before. A lot of people liking that hire, including Ryan Clark. Raheem Morris was my last defensive back coach. He's just an awesome man, but an amazing X and O coach, understands how to relate with players. And he's been there before when Dan Quinn was fired. He had an opportunity to coach there. He was a guy that coached both offense and defense in Atlanta. We watched him move to Los Angeles and with the Rams win a Super Bowl. So I think this is a slam dunk for the Atlanta Falcons. I think a lot of people would agree. Canales was never on the Seahawks list of interviewees, despite their familiarity with him. And I think many see him is kind of the best Carolina could get rather than the best person for the job. As for Morris, as you just heard, he led the Falcons after Dan Quinn was fired, but they chose to hire, I think that was when they hired Arthur Smith for the job instead, and they'll correct that now by giving Morris another shot, which he certainly deserves. Scratch another name, though, off the Seahawks list, and Morris... That means that only Seattle and Washington remain. And there's still a lot of really in big names. Belichick and Vrabel probably be in the top two. But then, yeah, Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald and Dan Quinn and Najira Vero, others who are all available. Field Yates on yesterday with Bump and Stacy, I believe. Yes, Bump and Stacy. Wyman and Bob. Darn it, I had a 50-50 shot and I blew it. Here is what Field Yates says about the Seahawks hire. It felt like just within hours of that announcement dropping, it was already Dan Quinn to Seattle had generated a lot of steam and it's logical in the sense that, of course, Dan knows pretty much everybody that's been in the building for quite some time. He's you know, been a head coach himself, so you kind of have an idea of what he can bring to the table. He's a defensive-minded man which, of course, is important for a team that you know, I think right now is in really good shape offensively and just needs to really, really figure it out on defense. So my, my general sense is that you know we're still heading towards the Dan Quinn conclusion. 
that, but but you know, this one of the great coaches uh, who's been around for a long time, Mike Tomlin. You know, this is how he got the job in Pittsburgh. Was that it was kind of like a sort of like an exploratory interview when it felt like the team had already made up its mind, and he won over the Steelers' brass. And was it 18 years later or 17 seasons later with 17 seasons of 500 or better? Mike Tomlin remains in control of Pittsburgh. Don't you think it would be weird if after all this, Dan Quinn got the job? After all of this and the nine candidates and you're going to be one of the last two to hire somebody, don't you think it would be odd if after all that they hired the guy that everybody thought they were going to hire right at the beginning? It just feels like one of those times where the local feeling and the national media are totally split. And sometimes the local folks have been right, as it was with Pete Carroll four or five years ago when national people thought he was getting fired. And sometimes it's the national folks who were right when they kept saying Russell Wilson was going to get traded and everybody locally thought they were insane. So we'll see which direction this goes. It just strikes me as odd that you would go this long and then hire the guy that everybody thought you were going to hire right from the beginning. Here's the second thing you need to know. I don't know if he's going to end up winning, but it sure was nice to see Devin Witherspoon as one of the finalists for Defensive Rookie of the Year yesterday. He was just a revelation at times last year, right? His speed, his physicality, natural instincts on the field. I feel like we saw all of them. Jones from the shotgun. Read it beside him in the backfield. Single wide out left with a slot to the right side. Seattle looks like they want to rush four. And they do. Jones is going to throw. Throws near side. Ball picked up. Witherspoon comes near side. Down the sidelines. Jones chasing him. He cuts back inside. Picks up blockers. Still being chased. Witherspoon far side. 20, 15, 10, 5. He is in. Holy catfish. Witherspoon went a mile and a half with the interception for a touchdown. Mile and a half he ran on that one. Nice play there. That was against the Giants. By the way, both Will Anderson and Jalen Carter also on that final list. Two players we certainly spent a lot of time discussing before last year's draft. Here's the third thing you need to know. Crack it back to it tonight. St. Louis in town. Remember, it was against the Blues early last year when Dave Haxtell called that timeout with his team just getting blown out early. And it felt like since that moment, they proceeded to play much better hockey. He'll hopefully get Matty Beneers back for the game tonight as John Hayden was sent back to Coachella Valley. So that hopefully is a good sign. Jordan Everly, he was on with Bump and Stacy yesterday. I know that. He spoke about what it's like when this team uses its depth. I like to think that when we're playing at our best and we're, we're playing well. We have four lines that are capable of playing against any of the other team's lines and then obviously four lines that contribute offensively. So, I mean, that's a that's a dangerous dangerous combination and a big reason why we had success last year and, and you know, if we're going to have success this year, it's, it's going to be a big reason as well. They have to. That's the only way for them to have success. They don't have the top scoring, you know, players in the league. They don't have those threats that every defense needs to be aware of at all times. What they do have is a roster where you can roll four lines over and over again. And for the Huskies, they got a couple of quarterbacks, at least for now. We know Mississippi State transfer Will Rogers has pledged to stay. And now they get former Arizona recruit Damon Williams Jr. committed. They will also retain now young Demaricus Davis, who withdrew from the portal. He is going to stay in Seattle. That is everything you need to know, and we do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Do you feel better about your little rant now? 
about my rant. Like the six a.m. The or the six a.m. You've kind of had to get some off your chest every day this last a couple times, not every day, but it's happened a couple of times. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the people um, I think mostly agree with you. You know, do they? Yeah. They agree with me on multi-factor authentication. Yeah, I don't feel like I get that sense. I feel like this is one of those things where <laughs> you tell people like about an annoyance in your life, and they've got thirty-five things that you could have done differently. But it's like, yeah, that's not the point, mm. right? Like, well, why didn't you use your phone? I mean, mm -hmm. I could have used my phone, but at this point, I was already using my laptop. My point wasn't like laptops aren't as good as phones. My point was, why do you have to go through it this many times? That's kind of the point I was trying to okay. make. But it's all right. Don't worry about but it. But on you the bright what? side, yeah. this is puppy weekend finally, right? I was right? going to say, you've got nothing to complain about Thank anymore. Thank you. I can't wait. So I'll just I'll tell you guys now, I'm not going to be in on Monday. I'm taking Monday off. Brady's going to be in for me on Monday. Okay. Unless the Seahawks hire a coach on Sunday, which I don't think they're going to do. Knock on wood. Uh, Brady will be in on Monday. He'll talk about the games with you guys and Brock. You guys all hang out together. I'm spending Monday with the new puppy. We're just going to spend the day together. Just some skin-to-skin -skin contact. Yep, yep. She comes on Sunday. Oh, my God. She comes on Sunday, midday. I don't want to work Sunday. I don't want to be preparing for the show the next day. So I'm just taking the day off. I'm telling you guys right now. I'm going to take Monday off. I'm just going to hang with the puppy all day Sunday and really get to know her and, you know, take her for walks and pet her and, you know, everything you do with a puppy. I'm like, I can't wait. Do you think this dog will like to go for walks? Yeah, I was going to say, know. you got the same kind of dog, but you're I very know. optimistic that it will I'm like walk. I'm not optimistic. Heather's optimistic. My favorite part about Wendell is that he hated to walk. Like, to me, that <laughs> that made him the ideal dog. Like, the, he hated to be outside. So anytime you took him out, he'd be start looking at you like, are we going back we, in? We good here. Are we done? <laughs> I mean, I've told you before, I used to get, what is it, WAG? They'd come out and walk the dog for me if I was out of town or, you know, like uh, couldn't make it home in time. Not out of town, but like if I played golf or something, I didn't have enough time to get home. And then I'd get the little map and it'd be like, your dog walked 0.05 miles. I'm like, 0.05? <laughs> that doesn't even get to the like outside of the house. Like what? So yeah, that's all right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see whether or not she likes to walk, but I don't care. I hope she just likes to snuggle. That's kind of what I'm interested in with my Frenchie. All right, we'll come right back with Matt Miller, uh, who does such a phenomenal job uh, talking about the draft. He had some great thoughts as to what the Seahawks could do, some great big-picture thoughts on what this draft is like and what may happen at number 16. Stick around. It's next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. This, this is Brock and Salk. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We got some great answers on what could replace the Pete Carroll basketball hoop. Dartboard, strong Ted Lasso vibes. Uh, now, JD in the 509 says he would put in a sneeze shield. That's not right, <laughs> JD. That's just that's just mean. Uh, clown carnival games like Ski Ball, Golf Simulator is really I love a the popular one. I do like <laughs> can you that. Imagine that. Guys just trying to like hit the ball as far as they can. Uh, Dance Revolution. Can you imagine that? Or maybe an air hockey game. So a lot of options uh, if you did want to move on from the Pete Carroll basketball hoop. Let's uh, start thinking about the future of this franchise in addition to what they're going to do with a head coach. They got a draft coming up that normally would be like the central focus of all of our conversations right now. And it hasn't been because we're understandably distracted. But Matt Miller spends his days thinking about this stuff, working on this stuff for ESPN. He's our good friend of the program, our favorite draft analyst. Matt, how's it going, man? Doing great. Good to hear from you guys. Well, I got Brady Henderson with me today. No Brock. Uh, so I got uh, one of your teammates there at ESPN. What's up, Matt? 
Let's uh, let's start here. How how is this draft class in general? Good. It's really good. I, I think notably strong at positions like quarterback, wide receiver. Uh, our our guy Mel Kuyper just put a mock draft out. The first six picks were quarterbacks or pass catchers, and that's that's consistent with like every mock draft I do, whether it's published or an exercise for myself is quarterbacks wide receivers are going to go incredibly early uh offensive tackle we could see six or seven in the first round cornerback we could see six or seven in the first round it's like this is one of those really funny years where we're going to see you know we might see five quarterbacks in the first round we're going to see six wide receivers six tackles six corners and you're like that's that's almost 32 players right there so it's really going to be dominated by what I consider the most important positions in football are are those four and and this is a great year to to grab those positions yeah, and speaking of uh, Mel Kuyper's recent mock draft, he had J.J. McCarthy going to the Seahawks uh, at 16, Matt. And, and I'm, the thing that struck me about that pick is that seemed like that would be a move that they could make if Pete Carroll were still here. Just knowing what I know about the way that, that uh, J.J. McCarthy played at Michigan and what he was asked to do and being you know the point guard, the distributor that Pete Carroll wanted out of his quarterback. So my question to you is, do you think he has the, the skill set to be more than that in the NFL, to be one of those guys uh, who can really carry an offense on his back? I think that's the biggest question surrounding McCarthy. And, and McCarthy, especially compared to the other five quarterbacks in this draft who have you know top two-round grades, is that with him it's, it's that he wasn't asked to do a lot, so it's almost harder to evaluate him because it's not – okay, he was asked to do this and failed. It's that, hey, he wasn't asked to do a lot. You know, they there were Penn State game. He doesn't throw the ball the entire second half, and they still win. Uh, that was a run first, second, and third offense. And some of that was, was J.J. being a runner. I think the things I hear from coaches at Michigan, the things I hear from scouts who have been through there, uh, is that everyone raves about his toughness, his competitiveness, his maturity. He just turned 21 last week. His football IQ – He's got a good arm. He's, he's got really good mobility. Um, he's got good size. I think a lot of people look at him and, and maybe think he's a little bit shorter than he is because he's kind of a, almost like a squat build. But, you know, he's he's six foot three. He's got an NFL build. Um, so I, I think with McCarthy, you get excited about the upside, which is a dangerous word when we're talking about quarterback prospects. I think you, you look at upside guys in the last several years, um, you know, they, they haven't panned out well, especially when they've been asked to play early. So I like J.J. McCarthy. I think 16 is – right around where his range is going to be. Um, but this would be a situation where you want him to sit behind Geno Smith and just absorb and learn and, you know, almost have that not not quite the three years that Jordan Love had, but you want, you know, almost an apprenticeship for a year, I think. It's really hard for me to watch J.J. McCarthy and watch Michael Penix. And I know that, you know, they were going up against very different defenses in that championship game, but Penix – seems so much more like an NFL quarterback and you know watching that game is like okay it's third down Penix has the arm on third and 10 if he needs to throw it down the field and it felt like and I I know the game didn't necessarily play out this way but for for McCarthy to make a third down and long completion seem like it would take a miracle like how how is how is he in any way a better pro prospect than Michael Penix well, you got to start with the injuries. And I know Penix has been healthy for two years, but four years at Indiana, every year ended an injury for him. And not just that. I mean, it's two ACLs, two shoulder injuries. So that's like that's where every scout I talked about, Michael Penix, every conversation starts with the injuries. And we're going to get clarity on that. We'll be at the Senior Bowl next week. We're going to get clarity. The NFL scouting combine is in a month. We're going to get major clarity on it there. 
I would say, like, if you could combine J.J. and Michael Penix, you have a you have a great quarterback prospect. Because I think with Penix, for me on tape, the things that I see is, you know, misses on intermediate routes, sometimes the timing of passes. I think you saw that against Michigan, you know, where you, where you needed him to hit, you know, an intermediate pass to hit a timing route over the middle, and he was missing on some of those throws. Um, you know, Michigan, Michigan played to win. You know, they weren't playing to make J.J. a draft prospect. And so I think that's the other side of it to remember is, Michigan's going to have Roman Wilson drafted probably in the fifth round, fourth, fifth round. You know, Washington's got three guys who are going to go. You got one guy that's going to go top 10 in a doomsday. Polk's going to go round two. McMillan uh, is probably round two, round three. It's just a different type of offense where, you know, it's, and that's the hard part, of, hard part about this job is if you put J.J. at Washington, what kind of success does he have? And if you put Penix in Michigan, you know, what is the, what is the conversation like if we're not seeing him throw the ball 40, 45 times a game? And sticking with with Penix, Matt, uh, two part question here. A, have you heard any concerns about just the the delivery and the delivery angle and length of that? And also, uh, just big picture with him, what do you think is his absolute floor? Meaning the the lowest you could imagine him getting drafted this year? Yeah. So there are. I, I would say with every player, every player, you have positives and negatives. It's just how the business works. So with Penix, the delivery does come up. It's long. It's not even that he's left-handed. Like, what? that doesn't even matter. It's just that the delivery is longer. It's not Philip Rivers long, but it is It is a little bit longer. You know, the elbow drops. I, I think the bigger key would be, you know, trying to tie the footwork. He's such an upper body thrower. He's all arm. It's not even really core. It's just all arm. So that's something he's going to have to work on once he gets to the NFL level and, and hopefully is working on in the lead up to the draft is that, you know, let's tie the, the, the midsection and the feet to the arm a little bit more. I think that's, those are the things that come up outside of the injuries most, most often as far as a floor goes, you know, if we see three quarterbacks go in the top three, which is very, very likely, then, you know, I maintain that he's going to be drafted in the second round just because the injury history, despite the fact that he had an amazing year, really amazing two years. So I think, you know, top 40 feels, you know, if he gets past 40, that's probably a surprise to me. Sitting here right now, January 25th, um, you know, by April 25th, we could be living in a very different world, having, having gone through the medical portion of the pre-draft process. But he's got a huge opportunity next week at the Senior Bowl, you know, on a team with Bo Nix. They're going to be throwing side by side. And that is a huge opportunity to, to say, hey, no, I'm outside of my scheme, without my amazing wide receivers, Watch me throw and, and tell me why I'm not better than this guy who, you know, Bo Nix seemingly, everyone I talk to says first round of Bo Nix. <laughs> so this would be a big opportunity for Penix to, to put himself in that conversation or, or jump yeah, a big, Bo Nix. Bigger than the three times he's beaten him already. <laughs> I mean, like, it's really, it's remarkable. Anyway, Matt Miller uh, is with us, our ESPN draft analyst, who I just love. I love Matt's analysis, and you can find him on uh, on Twitter or just at ESPN. Does a really great job with this. Um, the Seahawks don't have a lot up front. Their offensive line was yeah. substandard this year. They were 31st against the run. Their defensive line was substandard. So if you are drafting at 16, and then again, probably, unfortunately, not till the third round, what does this draft look like from either an offensive or defensive line standpoint? Uh, offensive line, really good. Um, and, and like you mentioned, the entire interior is if they're all free agents, if, if I'm not mistaken for Seattle. So you're going to have some big holes to fill there. I think the great thing is, like you said, no round two pick right now, but two, three, two third round picks. 
Uh, I think there's really good depth at guard. Uh, we're going to see some of those guys at the Senior Bowl next week. Cooper Gibby from K-State is a player I absolutely love. Zach Frazier, the center from West Virginia. And a lot of this is we don't know what schemes they're going to be running. So, right, so we're just, I'm plugging in good players who Zach Frazier m- might not be a scheme fit if you're going with more of a, a power run scheme. Then you might look at, uh, you know, the center from Oregon, uh, Jackson Powers, as, as maybe a better fit. So, but it's a really good interior line group in rounds two, three, four. D-line, it's kind of a weak year. Honestly, it is. Um, I, I think I have two pass rushers rated in the top 15, three in the top 20, and then there's a big drop-off after that. Same with defensive tackle. I got two in the top 20, then you got a pretty big drop-off after that. So a lot of this, you know, we're all waiting to see what kind of scheme the Seahawks are going to be running on both sides of the football. That's going to help, you know, figure out, okay, what, what type of fit are these guys? How important is it to bring back a Leonard Williams? How important is it to bring back, you know, the interior of the offensive line, or are we going to see a rebuild there? Because as you mentioned, you know, great stat. Uh, they weren't good up front on either side, you know. And so when you're looking at these free it's like, okay, you know, with the draft picks we have, the salary cap is, as we sit here right now, not in great shape. But I know that can that can change overnight uh, with the salary cap. So trying to figure out how to restock on the lines is going to be, I, I think, more important than identifying a quarterback in this draft because of where you're at. I think it's it's much more important to build these lines up when you have a Geno Smith and then you look at 2025, maybe that's your year to draft a quarterback. It's funny. I generally am the guy who hates when people want the local college guy to come to their team because I feel like it's kind of lazy. And yet here I am talking and really, you know, singing the praises of Michael Penix, who I think would be a fantastic pro. And Daniel Jeremiah had Troy Faltano as a number 16 pick for the Seahawks. Brock's in love with him. What does he look like to you, whether it's a tackle or guard? Could he be one of those options at 16? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is, uh, that's probably the start of his range as we sit right now. Another senior bowl guy. I can't wait to see him next week. He's, he's fascinating because he's so violent and powerful and his short area quickness and control are through the roof. And you, a lot of people see, okay, well, he's going to move to guard. The guy has almost 35 inch arms. He's just, he's six foot three. So that's why, that's where the conversation's coming in. It's not that, you know, a lot of times it's, oh, the foot speed isn't there. We'll move him to guard or the length isn't there. We'll move him to guard. It's neither of those with him. It's just that he's a little bit short. So I'll be really excited next week to see, you know, see him at tackle, see him at guard. I've heard rumors he's even going to work at center a little bit because some teams want to see how he does there. But um, if you just asked me to make a list of the five best linemen in college football last year, he's on that list. Uh, the draft gets weirdly picky and fickle about things where being six, three and a half matters more than how well you actually play football sometimes but that could be great news for a team like seattle at 16 if you if you wanted to draft him and say all right cool here's our left guard we're going to go charles cross and patano and we're going to just dominate i'm not mad at that pick at all especially with a new head coach coming in i've said this for years sometimes that first year obviously john is still going to be their gm sometimes that first year you just need to hit a single and a lot of these guys swing for a home run Sometimes you just need to hit a single with that first pick and have a guy that, hey, for five years, he's going to be a starter, and we're probably going to sign him to a second contract. Uh, NFL teams need to do a lot more of that instead of overdrafting for you know athleticism or, or size, and that's, that's where teams miss. Matt, one of the big surprises with John Schneider's draft history is how few quarterbacks he's taken in 14 years in Seattle. There's only been two of them. Um, you'll compare that to what Green Bay was doing when he was in their front office and they were taking a quarterback seemingly every year. So for that reason, I think it's hard for some people to imagine a first-round quarterback, but but maybe you know in the third round where they've got those two picks. And so 
if if the Seahawks do go into this draft intent on taking a quarterback on day two, who are some day two quarterback options you could see as being possibilities? Yeah, I mean, I know, uh, I know you guys are gonna like this, but I will say Michael Penix is in that in that mix right now. Interestingly enough, there is a gigantic drop off after that. So there are, you know, the six quarterbacks that are going to talk about a lot as, you know, top 40, top 50 type guys. And then there is a Grand Canyon like gap to the next one, which is probably Michael Pratt from Tulane, uh, probably, you know, Spencer Rattler from South Carolina. But we're talking about guys that I have rated outside the, the top 150 right now. And next week is a big opportunity for them. They both played a ton of football, but this is, you know, not the year where you're saying, okay, round two, like we might be able to get a developmental guy. Hey, maybe round three, we can get a developmental guy. That really doesn't exist this year. It's it's almost feast or famine. So if you're not investing a first or really early second round pick in a quarterback, uh, there's going to be a pretty big drop off. What do you make of the Seahawks draft class from a year ago now that we had a chance to see them for one year? I saw today uh, pro football writers had their all-rookie team come out. Seahawks had two players on it. Any guesses as who the two Seahawks on the all-rookie team were? Oh, wow. I mean, I assume Weatherspoon. He yes, should be way up he there. He was one of the two corners uh, along with Joey Porter. I'll give you a dollar yeah. if you can come up with the other name. Wow. I have no idea. <laughs> Brady, do you know? Uh, yeah, I do. Brady know. knows. Okay. Maura, Justin, okay. any guesses who who it is? Jarek Reed, special teams. Ah. Okay. How was, funky that, is that? That's the, actually, I was going to say, because he was the only one other than JSN, I thought I actually played enough to, <laughs> to get on there. Special so, teams, um, uh, Jarek Reed. But sure. looking back at it now, thinking about JSN and, and Witherspoon, thinking about their roster in general, and then Derek Hall and Charbonnet and the rest of this group, what do you make of that class now that we've had a year to look at them? I, I still like this class a lot, and I loved it at the time. I don't know if you remember that, Mike, because I I was, JSN was my number one receiver. So I was like, hey, look at this class. This is great. And Derek Hall had you know some late first-round buzz, especially this time of year. So I still like the class. I think it's you know, you have the question mark of, you know, do these guys, especially Derek Hall, Witherspoon and JSN are going to fit no matter what you're doing. With Derek Hall, it's okay. You draft this guy who's a, you know, D end at Auburn. Now he's kind of playing as an outside pass rusher. Like, you know, it, you just don't want to see a whole lot of scheme changes for a guy early in their career. I think that's where players can get lost a little bit. I still like Zach Charbonnet. I, I still think, you know, like it was their fourth pick. So it's like, oh, it was round two, but it was their fourth pick. So, I'm not going to freak out about that, especially, you know, the way this roster was built. Um, still think that was a good pick. I still like Mike Morris as a developmental guy. Um, I still like uh, Ola Timmy as a, you know, I think it wouldn't be surprised if he's the starting center next year, in fact. So it was a good draft class. I think, you know, an important part of, of the job is understanding sometimes teams think they're really close, and so they draft to, to close that gap. You know, like Buffalo, they, they've been drafting to close that gap as opposed to, you know, maybe drafting to build the best team. I think last year, last year's draft for Seattle was a good mix of that of, hey, like we're, we're trying to close the gap with San Francisco, but we're also trying to build a team here. And I think to get Witherspoon and JSN with those two first rounders, like those are core players for a long time. Yeah, you mentioned Leonard Williams earlier, and he's going to be one of their big free agent decisions this offseason. And, and the one thing I hear about Leonard Williams and those types of players is that really high impact interior defensive linemen are very hard to find in the draft. And there, there are some positions that look, you can find a blocking tight end in the draft. You can find a, an interior offensive lineman in the draft. Do you agree with that assessment that, that those types of players, those impact interior defensive linemen 
are much harder to find. And and uh, in that same vein, what do you think about this draft for that type of player? Yeah, it is. It is very hard, which is why I think, you know, not to take anything away from Aaron Donald, who's, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, or Chris Jones, who's a great player. I think it's why we also see, you know, so much like repetition at those positions when it comes to all pro and, and pro bowl and, you know, PFWA stuff, because, you know, there's just, it's hard. It's really hard to find those guys. And it feels like it takes them a minute to develop. So as far as this draft class, I'm, I'm in love with Byron Murphy from Texas. I think he's a top 15 player. He's a true first rounder. Uh, I, I think Jerzon Newton from Illinois. I got an opportunity to see him in person early this year. He's fantastic. Uh, Tavondre Sweat from the, the other Texas defensive tackle, who's more of a no tackle. He's probably in the top 40 conversation. I think there's, you know, there's three guys that are really good. And then there's some developmental guys, you know, Chris Jenkins at Michigan, Michigan rotates their linemen so much that they never really get an opportunity to almost get into a rhythm. Uh, so he's in that group. Leonard Taylor at Miami, when the dude got to play three technique, he was awesome, but they made him play nose technique most of the time. So I think we're going to see, you know, more round two, round three defensive tackles this year. And a lot of those are guys who they just need opportunity. You know, they need to get into a consistent system. McKinley Jackson at Texas A&M, if you just look at his position-specific traits, you're like, this dude's a top 10 pick, top 15 pick. But the play, because he was asked to play nose tackle at A&M, you know, with all this 3-3-5 in college football, he just never, never broke out. So uh, I'm excited about that, you know, middle to late day two defensive tackle group is going to be good this year. And there are guys with, with pretty good traits. Matt, I could probably just keep you here all day asking you draft questions, but we'll let you go after this one. I got a hard one for you that I probably should have sent you ahead of time to give you a moment to think about this, but we don't know the coaches here in Seattle, but you know John Schneider and what he likes to draft. Give me a sleeper that you think is just a John Schneider kind of guy. You know, the same way uh, a few years ago that ended up being Tariq Woolen or someone like that. Someone that just screams out, he's not going to be a first-round pick, maybe not even second or third, but it just seems like a guy that you've run across as you've started your prep, and I know you're still early, that would be just a John Schneider kind of guy. And I asked that question three times to give you enough time to try to think of somebody that you think would uh, would fit. Yes, I'm trying to help you out. No, so Darius Robinson from Michigan, uh, from Missouri. Excuse me, I'm from Missouri. I should have nailed that. Uh, <laughs> six foot five, two hundred ninety pounds, but he played standing up in Missouri. But he can bump down. So you know, again, we don't know the scheme, but knowing what John likes, you know, size up front, versatility up front. I think Darius Robinson, it, with one of those round three picks, could potentially be there and be the guy. If you had a round two pick, I would jump on my desk and say Edger and Cooper, the linebacker from Texas A&M, because it's just – I remember watching Jordan Brooks and thinking, this is a this is a, a Seattle, Seattle player. Edger and Cooper is the same way, but he's going to be off the board before you guys get a chance to draft him mm-hmm. in the second round, unfortunately. Well, John doesn't mind trading back. Wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't surprise me if they end up trading, you know, number 23 pick, and then they're also drafting in the second round. So we will uh, we'll stick around and, and remember those names as we get closer. And this will not be the last time we talk to you between now and the end of April. So we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Of course, guys. Have a great day. All right, there you go. That's Matt Miller. Uh, again, find him at, at uh, NFL Draft Scout on the X platform or at ESPN.com. He does a really phenomenal job. Uh, really detailed, does a ton of his homework, and uh, we'll be talking to him a bunch leading up to the draft at the end of April. How crazy is this? So I'm just thinking about it. Before we talk a ton of baseball with Shannon, who's going to be in here in a couple minutes, and we'll spend the next three hours mostly talking talking baseball with Shannon. But Bill Belichick's not going to coach next year. Yeah. 
right? By all accounts, he's not going to be in the league. He's going to loom over a bunch of jobs. Like, if you're Mike McCarthy, this is not what you wanted to have happen. If you're Mike McCarthy, you want Bill Belichick in Atlanta where you don't have to hear every day, like, what are we doing with this guy? Let's bring in Bill Belichick. Mm -hmm. Because that is going to be the conversation in Dallas all year long. Right. Especially given the drama, given the issue. You know what, Bill, of all the things that really is where Belichick should go. He would be such a good fit there. Yes, there'd be the power struggle with Jerry Jones. Yeah, obviously. I know. But dealing with the the drama. Right. Who did we hear say that? Like, it, it's not even it was KJ. He was telling us it's like it's just all drama there. Like, it's not even football. It's just drama. Belichick would change that. I'm like, he's not going to deal with the drama. I'm not. He's going to just end all of that. But Jerry Jones is part of the drama. Yeah, that's true. But I I get the sense that that's something Bill could do. I don't know. That'll be an interesting conversation for next year. But yeah, he's not going to have a job. And so, you know, is Vrabel going to have a job as of right now? Probably not. I mean, it sure sounds like Ben Johnson. I'm sorry to the Internet folks. Ben Johnson is likely going to go to Washington. We've been hearing that for a while now. So if that happens... What do the Seahawks do? At that point, you have your choice of Dan Quinn, Mike Vrabel, who apparently they don't seem to have any interest in, Ejiro Averro, Mike McDonald. You can afford to wait on him at that point because nobody else is around to hire him. And then sort of that second tier of Bobby Slowick and Mike Kafka and some of the other guys. Patrick Graham, Graham, right? Who I I guess I would put as of now those three guys in a tier below. I don't. I don't know why I'm doing that, but that seems to be sort of the way I feel about it. I don't, I don't know. think Bobby Slowick got a second interview with them. Oh, so good. We can well, we could just him. take him out. Yeah. Okay. Well, forget Bobby Slowick. And so he and Frank Smith ended up uh, sort of cast aside. I All think right. So. so the second tier then for me, I think, is Mike Kafka and uh, and Patrick Graham. But I guess, you know, talk to Brady yesterday and he's like, oh, Patrick Graham yeah, is like kind of the man. Yeah, he so can do it. it. I don't know who the heck knows. I just know that, that, that this idea that Dan Quinn is the favorite continues to just kind of. I know. I said this some more yesterday. It doesn't feel like, right. It's starting to feel very predetermined. It's I started, know. But if it was so predetermined, why did you spend so much time doing all this? Because he's never done any interviews. He's never had to. Nah, I some, feel like you got to see what's out there. At some point, though, it, it feels like overkill, at least to me. Anyway. All right. Shannon is in. Uh, we're going to spend a ton of time talking some baseball today as we are just, what, two and a half weeks or so away from the start of spring training. Uh, I got a ton of stuff for Shannon, and we're going to start with a letter grade next on Brock and Salk.